and welcome to Lewis in Space. On this podcast, I talk to people about games, their history with games, how they feel about games in general, and then we choose a particular game every week that we can talk a little bit more specifically what they think about it. On this week's episode, I talked to my fiance Chelsea about a very old game that we have started playing together in the past year, Dungeons and Dragons. Before we get started, a thank you to Visager for creating this great theme song. You can check out more of their work at visager.bandcamp.com. Enjoy! Hello. Hey. Hey. Introduce yourself. Um, my name's Chelsea. I am a drama teacher. Not yet. Almost. Actually, yeah, you are a professional drama teacher. Yeah. Almost a drama and English teacher. Yeah. And I don't play video games. Yeah, which is why it's really confusing that she wants to do this. Well, we're talking about other kinds of games. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. which we've been playing for uh, like half a year, yeah. like six months, um, with a group of our friends. Um, and it's the closest I could get to getting Chelsea to play a video game over the past year and a half of telling her that I've wanted to do this. So <laughs> that's what we're going to do. It's a special edition. Um, yeah. And maybe because we're not going to stop playing Dungeons and Dragons, maybe this will become a thing that we yeah. do more. Maybe. Depending on if you say smart things. Okay. No pressure. It's not pressure. Nobody's listening to this. Yes, they are. Okay. Um, okay, so... But, yeah, this always usually begins with the person saying what they what they know or like about video games. Okay. So what, do you, have, what video games have you played? Well, um, I think I've actually played more than you think I have. Oh, my God. I've and you've been waiting played... till now to tell me. <laughs> I've played, I played Kingdom Hearts with my little brother. Oh my god! I knew that one. You knew that one. Okay. Um, What's Kingdom Hearts? It's a Disney game where you're this little guy with a key, different keys. You can get special keys. Like little keys you put in your pocket? I mean, it's actually a big key. It's not a little key. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> it's a very big key. But you can fight Disney people. Okay. And you can, like, meet Disney people. So it's just a Disney game? Yeah. It's not a mashup of Disney and any other game? No. It's a mashup of Disney and Final <laughs> Fantasy. I didn't know that. I thought they just so made a little guy. So you played it and you didn't know who all these Japanese anime characters were? No idea. You just, just thought they were made up? Yeah, for the game. Yeah. I just was like, cool, we play 80s now. No. So there's a bunch of other people in Japan who are saying, I'm playing a Final Fantasy game <laughs> called Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. And you fight these weird cartoon animals. Yeah. I'm their other half. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also played... I played mostly computer games instead of video games. Okay, so we'll rattle them off. Um, Putt-Putt. Oh, yeah, Putt-Putt's great. Hola, Putt-Putt. Pajama Sam. Oh, Pajama Sam's great, too. Spy Fox was my favorite. Spy Fox is good. Freddy Fish. Freddy Fish. The voice of Freddy Fish lives in Seattle. She's a Seattle actor. Okay. So I would go see her on stage and I'd be like, that's Freddy Fish! Did you listen to me and Dana talk about Freddy Fish? No. For Dana and I talked about Freddy Fish. I guess Fish. I, I did because I listened to the podcast, but... Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. It was a long time ago. It was a long time I ago. I love Freddy Fish. Um, um, I also played Nancy Drew games. The, there was a Nancy Drew game? Yeah. It was like a computer game where you would like find clues and solve the mystery by clicking on stuff. So it was like, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? 
Um, kind of. You were, like, at this old hotel that Nancy was... Because I loved Nancy Drew. I read all her books. I loved Nancy Drew. And she was at this, like, old hotel, and somebody, like, disappeared or was murdered, and she was, was solving the mystery by, like, talking to the people at the hotel and clicking around on, like, clues and stuff. Oh, that's cool. It was very cool. And then I also played a Barbie horse game. That doesn't sound like you. I loved Barbies. <laughs> and you could ride on these horses and pet them and color them and take care of the horses. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I just also remembered, I made you play, like, uh, well, we played uh, Machinarium together. Yeah, and we played And we played Broken Age together. Oh, yeah, I liked Broken Age. And I made you play Grim Fandango, but you didn't love it. Well, but that one was, I totally appreciated the art and the story, but you even acknowledge this. There are some puzzles that's, like, there's no logic. You just have to, like, somehow figure out to click the right thing in the right order to make the puzzle work. That's not completely... That's more accurately describes Mist than it describes Grim Fandango. But, yeah, the Grim Fandango puzzles are a little bit... They're not, like, it's unfair. Not they're just hard. And there was... It just got to the point where, like, I didn't want to... Like, you weren't having fun if it wasn't going to be, like, yeah. a... Like, an easy or fun solution. Yeah. Um, I should find somebody who's willing to talk to me about Grim Fandango. That's my favorite game ever. Yeah. Um, Machinarium was fun, though. I liked that one. Yeah. That was a game we played on the iPad about, like, a little robot guy. Yeah, but it was really pretty. It was really pretty. And it was and, funny. And... and you could also, it had, like, a little answers book, but you had to play a game to get into the answers book, so I didn't feel awful. I forgot about that. Checking on the answers. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and Broken Age was really fun. Mm-hmm. Broken Age, made by the same guy who did Grim Fandango, I yeah. guess. Um, Although I think I remember, because it's in two parts. We never finished the second part, did we? I think we did, but we didn't like the second part as much. We liked the first part way more. The first part just has such a great twist at the end. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. So that's what I played. And there's all the many legions of video games you've had me describe to you. Yes. Or I've ha you've had them described to you. I've watched you play a lot and heard the stories of them. Tell the story, because I just did a, a Bioshock with Henry. The first one? No, no, tell the story about how you saw the... Oh, I was at work the other day and my friend had her laptop background up. And I went over and I was like, is that Elizabeth? And she said, yes, how do you know? And I just said, I've watched my boyfriend play that a lot, and he tells me everything about it. That's a reference to Bioshock Infinite, so... I didn't know who it was. People who don't know, that's the game I talked about with Henry. Yeah. Um, so, um, okay. But I think one of the main reasons that I never got into video games is that... Well, two reasons. One, none of my friends were playing video games. Really. And so I never, like, went over to somebody's house to play video games or, like, watch them. We played a lot of rock band okay. in high school. That's good. Played a lot of rock band. Um, but also... And Jack didn't play. Right. Jack didn't play because my parents wouldn't let him get, like, a video game console until he was, like, 13. Uh -huh. So I was, like, 16 or 17. Yeah. I was beyond caring at that point. <laughs> you were thinking about things like makeup and boys. 
not so much makeup, but definitely boys. Okay. Drama and boys. Yes. <laughs> Theater education and boys. Um, okay. Is there anything I could do? we could do now that would make you more into video games? What kind of video games would you want to play now? I would want to play video games that don't require me to have built up game-playing skills. Like, I feel like a lot of the games you play, I get easily frustrated because walking somewhere is hard for me in a video game. Like, mm -hmm. spatially and with the controls and my fingers, that's hard. Mm -hmm. So it's not fun. Mm -hmm. Just to get from point A to point B is difficult. Because then the things that are actually supposed to be difficult for real game players are impossible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would play a game like on my phone or on my laptop that's just like pointing and clicking and moving things around but that's still interesting story-wise mm-hmm yeah I mean Grim Fandango's like that you just never really got into it it is like that but but also the thing with the puzzles they were just so hard I know but if you were so I was just rushing you through that game. Maybe. <sighs> okay. Well, um, so because Chelsea's not going to play any video games anytime soon, mm -hmm. um, we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Which, um, I guess I usually give like a background on the game that we're talking about, but I don't really know much about Dungeons and Dragons. I know a little bit. Mm -hmm. It was like created um, decades ago, um, it's a decades old thing, um, it is a tabletop role-playing game, so it is not a video game, mm -hmm. you play with a group of people in the same room, seated around a table, or a living room, um, and, um, and it is, um, it's a role-playing game, so it's played by, with numbers, basically uh -huh. numbers and rules and um rolling dice yeah um and uh and and actually the rules of dungeons and dragons really make up the like the core rule set of many modern video game rpgs yeah um and also that there's like stories that are somewhat set out for you yeah well we're gonna get to that for a okay. second okay yeah yeah so so I we've been playing together. I've been the dungeon master, yeah. and Chelsea's been a player. Yeah. And I've been I've gotten very more interested in dungeon. I've dabbled in Dungeons and Dragons over the last few years with friends, um, just like light pickup games. But then like a year ago, um, I uh, I got super into it, and I went to a game store in Brooklyn and sort of like met a group and started playing with them regularly, and learned a lot more about the game. And then um, then said this this is so fun. I want to do this with my friend, with my, you know, friends that I know already, um, and so I organized a group that included Chelsea, and we've been playing a game um, out of the starter set, mm -hmm. but we're transitioning into a new um, module. Um, basically, what Chelsea had mentioned is these are pre-published adventures made by the people who make Dungeons and Dragons mm -hmm. um, that I'm using as my guide to run the game. So as Dungeon Master, it's my job. I'm not actually. I don't have a character. Um, I'm, I'm running the game. I'm, I'm yeah. playing all the characters that are not the players. Um, I'm telling them what happens next. They tell me what they want to do when I tell them if they achieve it or not. Mm -hmm. And then what happens next as a result of that. Um, so, Chelsea's experience playing has been very ex different from my experience playing um, 
the game because we're in different positions. So, yeah, so what are you going to, I don't know. What? Well, the reason that I'm interested in these, like, pre-done stories is that in, in drama, for, um, there's a thing called process drama, where basically you use your student's input and ideas to create an imaginary world, an imaginary story, and, and their thoughts and ideas further the story and the adventure. And so I've been thinking a lot about Dungeons and Dragons as a form of very structured process drama, but one of the main points of drama is that you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know where the story is going to end up because you're basing it off of your students' choices and ideas. So I'm wondering how much in these preset adventures, how much story do they actually give you, and are you interested in following that or not? Well, so, it's a little bit of both, because for the first few sessions that we were playing, I was terrified, because, and thank, and they, and thank goodness they go into as much detail as they go into in the books, because that's what's, well, that's what they're there for. Mm -hmm. The books say there's a little village, there's this group of goblins, they've done this, here's what the cave looks like, Here, here's a map of their cave, here's how many goblins there are, here's what they're up to, because managing my own imagination yeah. in response to what you guys are doing would just be, it's not, it's not, it's not that it's like hard, it's like overwhelming and mm -hmm. it would lead to bad stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, especially because the whole thing is not designed to, um, to be done in one night, although you can be do doing it in one night. It's designed to be played over the course of several sessions that could be playing out over the course of several weeks or months. And if I do, if I make a decision on the fly, that is not written down in the book or is somehow something that I've improvised or whatever, I need to be so sure about that choice that I'm ready to commit to it for the next few months because it might actually impact the real story. Um, so, uh, but once like after those first few sessions, I got way more comfortable improvising because once you like really know the story by heart and like where, what the context of the adventure and what you guys are after and what's going to happen when you meet certain people and, who, who all the bad guys are, um, and what their real motivations are, then it's like, once you get inside the heads of the characters that, and, and you understand what, like, why the black spider, for example, is after the black spider is the main villain in the storyline that we just are almost at the end of, but they beat the black spider in their last um, session, why the black spider would be doing what he's doing. It then helps me understand how to react when like someone like Dana goes off the script and does something wild mm -hmm. um and and how would he respond to that in that scenario is not something that's written in the book but mm -hmm. it's something that I can come to a conclusion about because I've lived in it and I've like I don't know I, yeah all that stuff so um you just asked me a question tricked yeah <laughs> okay well but what about playing? Like, are you having fun playing? I am having fun playing. Um, it's interesting. I... It sounds like you're not having fun playing. I am having fun playing. I just wish that I personally had invested more thought or time into my character's motivations. Because just like you said, how it informs you of how your story and your characters are going to go by knowing their backstory or how they're going to react... I feel like I chose a certain backstory that then didn't start to make sense in the story, like I would have left a long time ago. 
But obviously, because you're playing with a group of friends, you have to stay in the adventure. So I almost feel like I didn't really know how to react or how to do things because my backstory no longer made sense to me. Yeah, that's a that's a thing that I struggle when I play the game too. Because there are a lot of really creative, imagina- imaginative people who play Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. who really love getting into backstory and dun- imaginative dungeon masters who encourage their players to really flesh out their backstory and play place a lot of stock in backstory and like. I think they think that it makes it feel more real for the players if yeah. you like know a lot about your players, but I. I have never found that to be the case because oh. exactly what you said. It's yeah. like I'm creating my backstory in a vacuum. Yeah. Like I'm not doing it actually having spoken the words of my character, presented him with real conflict, mm-hmm. um, and presented him with relationships to people in the world. Mm-hmm. So like, how can I come up with this backstory for a character that is like completely untested? It's almost like, it, it, which it will be tested almost the second you start playing the game. Right. Because as soon as you're dropping it, like, the, the, the in media res of this story is, like, you guys are on a wagon delivering supplies to people. Like, what do you do when you're bored? Right. And you're, like, you are a person who, like, likes gardens. Yeah. But, like, you're in a wagon. Right. And you're on the road. Yeah. So, like, instantly your backstory is, like, you have to come up with something else. Yeah. And, like, and, and, or not, like, you don't have to throw the garden stuff out the window, but it's, like, what help does that give you? I don't know. Uh-huh. I, I just think that, like... Um, that's why I kind of appreciate, um, like, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, everybody can do what they want to do to have, uh, fun. Mm -hmm. And for some people having a backstory really helps. Like I think for Josh, uh, Josh had a really, made a really fleshed out backstory for his character, um, a cleric named Mira. And like, he wrote this long backstory and he emailed it to me and, um, you know, I'm still, we're still doing the starter set stuff, so I haven't been able, we haven't really gone off the map yet. Yeah. Um, but when we do, like, for sure I'm going to try and get his backstory wrapped up into the, into the story, but it seems like it has helped him have a starting point for Mira, but he also then, you know, I can tell, like, is, uh, is ready to respond and react to what the world is giving him. And, like, if he were to write that backstory again right now, from memory, I'm not sure how well he would do. Right. You know, because, like, the characters have essentially created their own backstories now. Yeah. Um, but it, I think there is something, like, as a general, the general public, we really like knowing what's happened in characters' past. Like, there's always that trope of, like, you see somebody do something, but then you get the flashback of why are they doing that? Where did they come from? And even we're watching Black Sails right now. <laughs> and, like, people's backstories... Explain. Drink! Sorry. <laughs> Chelsea hasn't shut up about Black I love Black Sails. Everybody months. should watch it. Um, but, like, once you hear someone's backstory, particularly the main character, you understand so much more about why they're doing what they're doing. And maybe it's because, I mean, human behavior itself is so unpredictable that we it's really comforting to see stories about why people do what they do. But there's something that we just love about backstories and, and knowing a character's motivation. So I wonder if it can be sort of created in D&D, like, along the storyline. Like, as you start playing with the group and figure out the group dynamics and your own character's personality, maybe you get to a breaking point where it's like the DM says, stop, we're going to go 20 years back. Okay, but that sounds like process. It drama. is process drama, That's and not... I think it should be used in D and D. Okay. 
make a tableau. Now I know why you wanted to do this. You're just hijacking my topic for your topic. This is okay. a drama education podcast um, called Playdate. I'm gonna, I'm showing my hand a little bit, but hope probably by the time that we're, this is published, I've either actually done this idea or we've gone, gone right past it. But I've been thinking about, because you guys are basically at the end of the starter set, yeah. um, and I've been laying the groundwork for the next adventure we're going to do, which is a published adventure called The Curse of Strahd. Mm -hmm. um, I've been playing with the idea of saying, because the end of the starter set ends with your characters having saved a mine, yeah. um, and, or having failed to save a mine, but you guys have essentially saved it. Yeah. Um, and um, the Rockseeker brothers, there's two of them surviving, and they're going to probably open this mine up and... Um, and they have offered to cut you guys in on the pro proceeds from this mine. I've been thinking about the next session, maybe not the next session, or the, maybe the session afterwards, being much more of a um, pure role-playing session where we say, okay, it's like you, you, say, you, know, you make the decisions about what happens immediately after you um you save this mine but then like fast forward six months yeah. like who has stayed behind to be the proprietor of this mine like who cares about this town fandolin and who's going to stay behind and actually live in it and, yeah. and work in it are any of you yeah who's going to stick together are any of you going to stick together yeah like there's already this built-in reason um one of the players uh uh was bit by a werewolf yeah um and so he is going to have to very soon or right now, basically, make the decision about whether to, whether to, or I think he's going to make the decision to go off in search of a cure. Um, but how successful is he going to be, and where does that take him, yeah. and who goes with him to help him do that? Um, and I want to, and I want to run this in a way that makes it clear that everybody can sort of make their own decisions. Like Twixit can go off and do Twixit is our friend Dana can go off and do um, whatever she wants. Roland Thomas can do whatever he wants. But then there's going to be an in-fiction tied to the n next villain that, like, a year later, um, something gets the band back together. And that way, you're jumping into the next adventure where your backstory is the first adventure. Yeah. And you already know what, how you feel about everybody. And, like, and, whether, and if you're forced back together because of some villain thing, it's not... For some of you, it's going to be out of some sense of duty to destroy evil, but some of you, it's going to be for a different reason. Yeah. And, you know, like, you're going to have to tell me that reason because we have to keep playing. Um, and is that reason because of money? Is it because of some personal thing? Um, now that everybody's had, like, a few months of playing their character, I feel like we can go into the next adventure with, adventure with much more mature characters who, like, know a lot, about, a little bit more about how they adventure and what they do in their downtime. Yeah. Um, and I think that'll be fun. How was that? Okay, so you like fantasy books. Yes. Has that come into play at all during our D&D games? I feel like once you start playing D&D, everyone sort of knows instinctually what the world is supposed to be like and how we're supposed to talk to each other. Like, it's somewhat heightened language. It's, like, a little bit more polite. So I think when people in our group like, try to be funny or try to make jokes, it, like, stands out to me as, why are you taking us out of the world? Mm. Because a lot of the jokes are, like, like, fuck, dude, or, you know, they're, they're, like, our language, our modern language, or they're, like, abrupt, and it's just, it's sort of jarring to me of, like, that's not how we talk. Yeah. We're in a fantasy world. Yeah. We drink mead together and, like, <laughs> you know, 
the funny jokes are about like euphemisms for boobs. Oh God! Please, <laughs> please no. <laughs> Unfortunately. Unfortunately, that's our that's what passes that's, for humor that's in our fantasy. Humor. <laughs> but um. Yeah, but the thing is, like, that's how you're reacting to the world, and like right. for other people, that like meta, that like Deadpool approach to role yeah, playing yeah. is like fun and like really fun because because yeah. immersion is one thing, but like like full immersion is one form of entertainment, but another form of entertainment is like living in a fantasy world, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, and, and having fun with that and, like, mm-hmm. being able to comment on it while you're doing it and, like... Because there's lots that is funny about it. Right. Um, and, like, you know, I'm doing stupid, dumb accents for the characters. I know. And, like, those don't make sense at all. But I think it's sort of the... I actually look at the rules. Yeah. Some of the creatures that I've been doing accents for yeah. should not be speaking English. <laughs> like you, like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be understanding them at all. That's hilarious. That's not good. For for the record, just so listeners, you know, all of Lewis's characters have a Cockney accent. No, they do in some in some form of pitch and volume. They do. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. And all and everybody has like monosyllabic names. Yeah. And um, although you've only really asked for goblins' names, That's you haven't true. really asked for a lot of other people's names. No, we haven't. We haven't. Um, although Carp, the boy Carp. Yeah. Um, that's in the book, so I didn't make that up. Oh. But there's a boy named Carp. I had a high school teacher named Mr. Carp. Took me out of the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you feel about the gaminess of it? You mean like rolling? Well, I mean, just the all the game parts. There's lots of game parts. There's rules and, like, numbers and, like, character progression. And there's oh, an yeah. inventory you have to, like, all the game stuff. Um, and fighting. And hiding. Yeah. And sleeping. Like, there's a game. The, the game is, like, has rules for all these things. That's... I... I personally would rather have less rules. But... That's not Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. That's a different game. And also, I, um, the rules are there, because I feel kind of the same way-ish, mm-hmm. but I think the rules are there to help other people act. Because mm-hmm. there's some people that you could say, like, oh, I'm, you know, okay, you're in a tavern. Yeah. Um... And you're there to, like, get information. Yeah. Um, and the person says, okay, I slink up to the bar and I toss a quarter onto the thing and say, get me some, you know, a cup of mead. And then I turn to the person next to me and I say, you're from around here. Yeah. And then some people say, like, I, you know, I grab everybody one by one. I talk one. to everybody. I talk to everybody. Yeah. Exactly. And, <laughs> or, or, like. <laughs> I uh, talk to everybody and I get the information I need. Yeah. Or what I, is it? Yeah. Exactly. And so it's, like, there's. There's rules, I think, because... And, I mean, and actually, I think everybody in our group doesn't really need the rules. Yeah. Everybody in our group is, like, is like fun and, like, yeah. knows how to... Has seen the Lord of the Rings and knows how these right. scenes should play out. Exactly. Um, but, um, anyway, so, so yeah, the rules are... I think the rules are there to provide some structure. Yeah. Well, and there's also always that feeling of, like, the more constraints you have, the more creative you can actually be. Yes. And that's something I haven't really yeah. done yet. Well, I mean, the idea of, like, 
losing what you want to do as an action is really interesting and I think can complicate the story in really fun ways. Like there was one scene where I remember I wanted to go up to somebody in the bar and pretend like we had known each other for a long time and I had to roll for it to see if that was successful, if he would like accept me as an old friend or would be like, who are you? And that just added like a really cool fear and tension like it's out of my control mm -hmm. it's not it's not up to me of like how well i act or like how convincing my argument is it's like i have to roll and if i get a good roll then like he'll believe that i'm his friend and i'll get some information out of him and we'll further the story or if i don't get the, a good roll then he's gonna freak out and I'm not gonna get any information and in fact may have to leave the town entirely. So you like So that. it just adds like really fun stakes. Yeah, stakes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Um, cause it's just like, um, cause there's a version of it where like, it would be fun if it was decided by how good your improv was. If... Mm. If you were that type of person. But then, who's the judge? Exactly. It's it's fun that, like, the world is random yeah. and the world is unforgiving. Yeah. And that um, you just have to... You gotta keep improvising. Yeah. Because, like, sometimes it's gonna shut you down. Um, that's something that you guys haven't really dealt with, actually. It's just, like, yeah. losing straight up. Yeah. I was prepared for you guys to lose against the Black Spider. I know. Um, it was not going well. But, I mean, like, I was prepared. Like, I knew, like... Oh. two or three things that were going to happen if you guys lost and can um, you tell me what they were yes so it was so I, f so for the record we we went into the dungeon where the main big bad guy of the story was going to be the black spider who's a dark elf wizard he's a drow he's a drow and we were supposed to fight all of these guys and a couple of us almost died and it was not going well but then we kind of tricked a lot of the bad guys and used a lot more of our like deception disguise kind of tactics and actually fighting them and we did end up winning and beating the, the black spider yeah although when i played it back in my head like i wasn't playing as hard as i should have yeah. like black spider went down too easy and he's supposed to go down easy because he's actually not supposed to have that much health but he should have been casting way more spells he should have been moving around a lot um the spiders that were on the walls and were, like, very much not a threat to you guys, and they should have been. Like, yeah. I wasn't paying enough attention to what they were doing. Like, I was managing ten characters. Right. right. That's why, like, I had to have the map, and that was for me. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah. To keep track of everybody. Right. Um, but, like, half those bad guys, we had, like... I had put a spell on two of the spiders to make them my friends. We had, like, convinced half the bugbears that we were good guys. Some of them we'd made leave the room, like... We'd used a lot of sort of loopholes and trickery. Yeah. So, but what were the, if we'd lost, what would you have done? So, um, sort of a similar thing, um, to, uh, so actually I guess you guys haven't really finished the dungeon yet because there's the, you go into the dungeon, you go into this lost mine to save, um, Gundren, who's the guy who gave you guys the job you go in to save his brother mm -hmm. um, and him because you don't know where he is. Mm -hmm. He's gone off in search of his brother and he's gone missing. Um, so he might be in there too. Um, you're going to save him, kill the black spider because you know at this point the black spider has had some really dark designs on this mine. Yeah. Um, and um, 
as sort of like a bonus, um, use or, or find the Forge of Spells. Yeah. Or the spell for the forge of spells, spells yeah. um, which is this ancient um, forge uh, that rumors or I guess history says is a very powerful spell forge. Yeah. Um, so you guys have saved Gundren and beat the Black Spider, but you haven't found the forge of spells. No. So my backup um, kind of involves the forge of spells, so okay. I don't want to spoil it for you completely. Okay. Okay. But basically. Um, if you guys had all gone down, then um, the Black Spider would have sa- would have um, taken you all prisoner, mm-hmm. and then hired two of, or hired, forced two of you to go deeper into the dungeon uh. to find the Forge of Spells. Very much um, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade style, where the head Nazi, like in the final act, uh, like takes control of the whole situation and shoots. Um, Indiana Jones's dad, and oh, then forces yeah, Indiana yeah. Jones to go into the thing to find the cup of Christ, yeah. so that he can save his dad. Yeah. So Indiana and his dad show up as treasure hunters, and then all of a sudden Indiana has to find the the um, the Holy Grail to save his dad. Yeah. So like the stakes are changed completely. Sean Connery. Yeah. Yeah. You've seen that movie, right? Yes. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I had the right image. In yes. Head. Yes. Yeah. So and I love that movie. So I was totally picturing like if you guys fall to the black spider. Then the stakes change, and he tells you, "I will let you live," which is a lie. But I will let you live if you get the forge. If you get can clear the way to the forge of spells for me, uh-huh. um, and then when you got there, and I'm still not going to tell you what's there uh-huh. because um, you haven't found it. But when you got there, there would be a scenario that could very much be turned against the Black Spider yeah. in a very Indiana Jones sort of way. The Indiana yeah. Jones movies all end with the big bad villain having being killed somehow by their melting. And, yeah somehow melting yeah so i was trying to think of some cool creative way for the black spider basically to be killed by the forge of spells mm-hmm. um anyway so that would happen um or um gundren who you guys had not found anywhere in the dungeon i had done that on purpose so that he could pop up later if you guys oh. died yeah so that he, they would take you all prisoner and then he would sneak up and free you and tell you where the to do with this stuff um Thomas had had was the only one who noted like that's kind of convenient that Gundren showed up right after we killed the Black Spider, yeah. and I was like, well, that's because he was waiting in the wings for if you guys died yeah. <laughs> to you give go. you guys a second shot at the whole thing. <laughs> um, this is maybe revealing too much. Like, I know that Josh hates it when I talk about how I planned out the game, but I think yeah. it's really fun, and I, I love hearing about fun. it from other people, so I like talking about it. Um, and also, people who like Dungeons and Dragons or play Dungeons and Dragons are probably listening to this and thinking it's total amateur hour or like. Yeah. Um, but we are. We are amateurs. We're just starting out. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but the black spider was like... Um, this whole thing was was stressful because it was a fight. And I know you guys hate fights. Because <laughs> you guys are all so bad at fighting. Yeah. But that's because you spend half the time trying to solve a fight as if it's a puzzle. Yeah. And sometimes the fights <laughs> are not puzzles. Yeah. Actually, often... Almost every time the fight's not a puzzle. Yeah. It's like if if you are fighting, then the puzzle is over and you've right. lost the puzzle. Right. Um, so and but and no matter what <laughs> signs that the world gives you, you guys are like, nope, this spider will be my friend. <laughs> um, I nope, I will convince every henchman in here that the yeah. man that is clearly their boss is actually an imposter. <laughs> like they spend like basically hours enacting this plot during a fight. It's a, anyway, it's funny. It, it's fun. Um, I know you guys don't like the fights. Yeah. 
Um, but this was like the big bad guy and mm-hmm. I didn't see how, like you guys hadn't really planned anything. Yeah. You just went into the thing and it's yeah. not like there is a puzzle to be solved. He's a bad guy. Right. Like I, I was like, there's going to be a fight. You guys have to know how to fight. Right. Um, so I had to let that be a big fight and I hope actually just like, to be perfectly honest, like, I hope you guys never have to fight anything ever again, but like, <laughs> but I, mean, I don't know I if that'll be possible. Because- I think it's because in our unique group, well, we have someone who plays a lot of video games who is used to hints and clues that are subtle being really significant later on. So his antenna is always up for a solution to a puzzle because he's used to playing video games and picking up on those clues. You also have two drama teachers mm. who are used to listening to backstory and character and thinking about feelings and how we can, like be using our words honestly (laughs) to forward the story you have um i mean you have just like a couple theater people who love talking (laughs) and communicating and you you don't we don't have in our group a lot of people who are like excited by the the numbers and the math and the strategy of fighting but so i I, um, get that. And I used to be like that Mm -hmm. up until a few months ago Mm -hmm. with my other group that I play with from. So what changes is that I, cause every time I'm given the option of how to create a character, I always want to do like a magic person or like a rogue, like someone who's like, who definitely has options that are not swinging a sword. Yeah. Um, cause I want to interact with the world in other ways. I want to light things on fire. I want to sneak around. I want to lock pick things. Um, and I just decided we started a new story or a new characters and story a few months ago, and I just decided I'm gonna play a monk character, and the monks don't really have they have some magic, but they mostly um, they're mostly just physical combat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, what if I just leaned into it? And I and I was like, my character is really good at fighting. Yeah. And I started having so much fun because. I, because I started treating that as like, you know what, like actually being a really good martial artist and like being really good at taking out enemies is a fantasy trope. Like it is like a, it is a fantasy. Yeah. And like, I just started having fun with it of being like, oh no, my guy's really strong. Yeah. And like, cause every other character I made was someone who didn't like combat because I don't really like combat. So that would bleed into my character. And this guy, I, I was just like. Wanted to experiment with, like, no, what if he likes to fight? Yeah. And I started to like to fight because yeah. I would win a lot. And I got very good because my character is, like, good yeah. at fighting. I became smarter at fighting and I love fights. And then yeah. that actually informs the story and the character. My character, like, seeks a fight yeah. and invites challenge. Yeah. And, like, is... And that's changed the story and yeah. that's, like, changing my character, like, behavior. So, anyway, and I found that actually, like, d and D. I I mean, it's probably not a surprise, but D&D has really complicated fighting mechanics that the more you look into them, the more you can take advantage of and learn. And if you like to fight or if, or not if you like to like play the game of fighting, but if you like the idea of playing out of fantasy of being like a wonder woman who is like just, who is just insane and you just want to, and you just want to like spend a night talking about how much ass you're kicking, then like D and D gives you so many good tools to do that. And that's what I want more people in our group to f- discover. Maybe maybe none of them will. But yeah. I, I thought it wasn't possible, and then I did. And I think that fighting it can actually be really fun. 
you should read if you like fighting stories. Oh my god. You should read books by Joe Abercrombie. This is a video game podcast. I don't um, know what for all books the are. book readers out there. Joe Abercrombie is a fantasy writer who uses violent fighting in incredible ways. He's got some of the best characters who just fight. And they're <laughs> so interesting and they're so complex and nuanced. And uh, I love his I love his writing. Okay. Think so, but what did anything I say change anything about the way you think about fighting in D and D? Well, I mean, our experience we have we do have like two fighters technically in our group. Who's the second? Mira and Balasar. Mira's not a fighter. Mira's a cleric. Oh, okay. We have one. Fighter. We have one. Yeah. And technically, Twixit as a rogue, like rogues are like oh, don't yeah. have magic. Rogues are supposed to get in there and stab. Yeah. Which she does. Which she does, yeah. She sneaks around and stabs them. She is someone who has fun with the fighting. Yes, she does. Yeah. She really uses the rules to her advantage. Um, but so far, Balasar has not really had any of those awesome moments. Mainly just honestly because he hasn't rolled very well. Right. So it, it hasn't seemed appealing to us because no one in our group does it well, not even the fighter. <laughs> yeah. Just because of how he's been rolling. Yeah, that's true. Which is a bummer. It's just, it, at later levels, like, you really... It's not like you can counteract bad rolls, but you just have, like, other options of, mm -hmm. like... Like, my monk can fight multiple times per turn. If he right. misses, he can do this other thing. It's, like... It's so fun. Yeah. Um... Yeah, okay. This is fun. This is fun. We should keep talking about this as we keep playing. Okay. Okay. Do you have any other things you want to say or other um, questions or comments. You can find me on... Okay. <laughs> you actually, Just kidding. I'm you not actually, on social media at all. You, you can't, can't find, find her anywhere. anywhere. <laughs> you can find her right here. Shit's and then on after. you. <laughs> okay. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Talk to you later, Chelsea. Okay. Talk to you later, Lewis. Okay. Bye.